Just behind Mozart in the Spirit of Soho mural is a balding man who appears to be wearing some kind of large ostrich feather type thing. This has turned out to be the most confusing story so far in the Mural Morsel series. At number 15 in the mural, it's the Chevalier Dayon. But for today, I am a child. It's not that nothing has been written about Chevalier Dion, far from it in fact, he's long been a subject of fascination. There are biographies about him and essays and even a 24 part anime series, but perhaps due to the nature of his work and the kind of society in which he mixed, stories have been changed, evidence erased and truth fudged in order to protect his influential friends. And by the way, Chevalier is not a name. I'll let my guest explain what he was really called. So Chevalier isn't his name, is it? Well, the Chevalier Dion, but to give him his actual full title, um, was, uh, <laughs> it was quite a mouthful actually. Charles Genevieve Louis Auguste André Timothée de Dion de Beaumont uh, was born to a minor aristocratic French family in the province of Burgundy on October the 5th, 1728. That's Tony Shrimplin there, curator of the Museum of Soho. We met up in what turned out to be a very noisy St Anne's churchyard on Wardour Street and had a rambling conversation about this confusing person. I found it really confusing reading about Chevalier Dion, and it's partly because it's a confusing story anyway, but I think there's lots of misinformation. I think, I mean, depending who's doing the, the retelling of, of his life, he certainly made a lot of enemies at, at court. And people told lies about him. So some facts are facts. Chevalier is a French title, roughly equivalent to knight, so it basically means sir. Chevalier Dion was born a minor aristocrat in pre-revolutionary France and became a confidant of King Louis XV. He was appointed, while still in his 20s, by the king to a top-secret spy ring called the King's Secret. So secret was it, in fact, that the actual government didn't know about it, and while he was working as a diplomat on behalf of the French government, he was operating at a deeper level of security on behalf of the king, infiltrating the Russian royal court, attempting to influence matters of state in Louis's favour. He was a diplomat, a spy, a soldier, and... Uh after distinguishing himself many times at the court um, in France and at the Russian royal court, um, he was called back to France by King Louis XV and uh, sent to London in 1762. I should just mention here, because it might become relevant later on, he said knowingly, that Bram Stoker, he of Dracula fame, published a book of essays in 1910 called Famous Impostors, which included a chapter on Dion. And in it, Stoker claims that at some point on this posting to Russia, Dion disguised himself as a woman in order to infiltrate the Queen's inner circle. But like so many of the stories surrounding Chevalier Dion, this may be true, or it might have been concocted by his many enemies later in life. Or it could have been a story invented by Dion himself for reasons that are difficult to fathom. We do know that he came back to France after a few years in Russia, even more in the king's favour, and after a stint in the military, he was by all accounts an excellent soldier, was sent off to England as a de facto interim ambassador, pending the arrival in a year or so of the real ambassador, the Comte de Guerchy. He actually resided at 38 Brewer Street, which would be now 71 Brewer Street, which would be roughly where third space gym is now. But I've also read that he stayed at the School of Fencing, which was in Carlisle House, 
That's the other Carlisle house in Carlisle Street, not to be confused with Teresa Cornelis's Carlisle house where she held her great masquerades in Soho Square. Domenico Angelo was an Italian fencing master and he's, he established the School of Arms and he taught the Prince of then Prince of Wales and his brother, the Duke of York. Gideon was quite a, he was an accomplished swords person. Oh, yeah, yeah, very much, much so, and he was a, a dragoon. When he came to London, when he, when he came to England, this was to be a kind of ambassador, is that right? An ambassador to, and to be the ears um, for, for the King of France, uh, really. Um, so he's a double agent? Yeah. Similar to his time in Russia, the Chevalier was acting undercover again, still working for the King's secret. He was hobnobbing with the English establishment, importing crates of fine wine from his homeland, whilst all the time gathering intelligence to aid a planned French invasion of England. He was having a whale of a time, popular both at home and abroad, and getting paid handsomely for his troubles. Dayon's fortunes began to decline when the ambassador proper arrived to take up his post. Dayon was enjoying being Le Grand Fromage and wasn't happy about having to have a demotion when Guerchi turned up. And although he had officially now become a less senior member of the diplomatic staff, his actual rank, his secret rank, bestowed upon him by King Louis XV, was far higher, but he couldn't tell anybody. His behaviour became erratic and he began to make powerful enemies, including the ambassador. And this is where, if it wasn't already confusing enough, it gets really confusing. At the age of 49, he stopped living as a man and began to live as a woman. Or at least dressed like a woman, because contemporaneous accounts suggest that although he dressed like an 18th century lady, he did not adopt the manners and demeanour of one. What's your take on the whole... Because he, he certainly lived his life as a male person until the age of about 49, and then spent the last 33 years of his life as a woman and I mean, I'm, I'm not clear how that came about. And I'm, and I'm still not, I'm not clear. I mean, I've read that it was on by orders of um, King Louis XV. One of the versions I read, I think possibly the Bram Stoker version, is that he pretended to be a woman to infiltrate the Russian court at one point on an early spying mission and then later on, when he'd made enemies, they started to spread rumours that he was a woman to undermine him. Do you think he also encouraged encouraged it? Possibly, yeah. But I don't, I don't, I'm not quite clear why he would have encouraged those rumours. And then when he, when he goes back to France, he's told he has to be a woman, isn't he? Yeah. Which I don't understand. And, he, and there's one account I read when, um, here it is, it's Madame Campan said... The desire to see his native land once more determined him to submit to the condition of being a woman, but he revenged himself by combining the long train of his gown and the three deep ruffles on his sleeves with the attitude and conversation of a grenadier, which made him very disagreeable company. So he's basically, he was like a, a trucker in a frock. He wasn't acting in a feminine way. He, I mean, it sounds like he was, he was being forced to dress as a woman against his will. It's been suggested by some sources that rumours had begun to spread in London that Dayan was actually a woman because of this earlier alleged infiltration in the Russian court in the guise of a woman and that these rumours were started by his enemies to blacken his name. Another theory is that Dayan himself started the rumours, his version being that she was born a girl but that her father, who needed a male heir, had forced her to live as a boy. Why he might have started these rumours isn't clear though, and it does appear that later in life, after he'd returned to France and had been forced by the French government to live as a woman for some years, he wanted to revert to a male appearance, but they didn't let him. Whilst still in London, a betting syndicate was established in the city, and money, 
lots of money, exchanged hands on the question of Dion's gender, to the point that bodyguards were employed to protect him from ruffians who would attempt to de-trouser him in the street. Dion was in trouble, not just from the threat of physical attack and public humiliation, but from darker political forces that conspired to take him down. There isn't time to go into the ins and outs of these, but Dayon, having moved in the orbits of kings and queens, was now the subject of some dark plots and felt sufficiently in danger to fire a warning shot across the bows of the French establishment by publishing some secret material and by doing so becoming a much lauded public figure, in England at least. He was operating at the top echelon of society, wasn't he? I think he was pulling a lot of strings. He had the ear- I mean, and he was very close to, to Louis XV. As a form of insurance, he had the letters from the king because there was some secret plot that Louis XV had of um, invading England. So I think the Chevalier Dion used those letters um, as, as insurance in case he got into any trouble. But as you know, you know he, he was exiled here and became a celebrity, more not maybe within the, um, the court, but with the greater sort of general public. British general public. However, Dayon wanted to go back to his homeland and his return was negotiated through a third party. But part of the terms of his return was that he should dress as a woman at all times. Again, I've yet to find a convincing explanation as to why this condition was imposed, and it does seem to be almost out of spite. Bram Stoker says that it was upon a whim of Marie Antoinette, who thought it would be amusing, but this too seems unlikely. Dion spent the next few years in France living as a woman. It seems he wanted to return to his life as a soldier and offered to lead a battalion of female dragoons, but this offer was declined. Eventually, tired of the restrictions imposed upon him, he returned to London, but without the trappings of government office and the pension that came to a juddering halt when his royal patrons were given the chop during the French Revolution, and still living as a woman, he struggled for money. An old friend from his first stint in London, Domenico Angelo, assisted him financially by staging fencing exhibition tournaments open to the public at Carlton House, the USP of these being that Dion took part in women's clothing. Apparently, this was a big draw to the public of the day. It was uh, Domenico Angelo who set up these um, exhibition fencing matches, uh, a famous one at Carlton House, in which um, the Chevalier Dior... Um, de Saint-Georges and the Chevalier Dion actually fenced. The Chevalier Dion, he'd lost his pension and needed to make money, so the Domenico Angelo set up these, these matches so he could just make, make some money. If it's confusing that Dion was forced to dress as a woman in France, it's equally confusing that he continued in this vein when he returned to London. It could have been that his renown was now his way of earning money, or it's possible that he came to prefer it. It's certainly the case that he built up a large collection of writings on the subject of feminism, and according to his biographer Gary Cates, Dayon considered women to be more decent than men. He also suggests that remaining a woman for the rest of his life was a kind of extended midlife crisis and a way to escape the hyper-masculine box he found himself in. Dayon spent the final years of his life living in London, with an elderly woman called Mrs Cole in some poverty and remained a woman until his death. On the subject of pronouns, a very contentious subject these days, you may have noticed that I have mostly used he and him. Each generation views this story through the lens of its own age and preoccupations, and although some sources refer to Dion as he and him, others chop and change. 
We decided to use male pronouns partly because there does appear to be a certain amount of coercion involved in his change of gender, and also because it does not appear to be the case that Dion identified as a woman. In any case, the concept of identifying is very recent. However, to add one last twist to the story, here's Tony Shrimplin from the Museum of Soho again. He was buried at St Pancras Old Church and his remaining possessions were actually sold at Christie's in, in 1813. On the um, listed graves on the, the Burdett Coots memorial list, it's listed as one of the, the most important graves missing, lost. So, so we don't know where the grave is? Yeah. Interesting. At the end of his life, which, um, I mean, he, he was effectively in exile in London. He, he died in, in, around, uh, it was a Millman Street, which is like around Red Lion Square, that, that area, uh, a friend's house. The surgeon who examined his body attested in their post-mortem certificate that the Chevalier had male organs in every respect perfectly formed, while at the same time displaying feminine characteristics. A couple of characteristics described in the certificate were unusual roundness in the formation of limbs, as well as breasts remarkably full. This information suggests Dion might have been intersex. So project onto Charles, Genevieve, Louis, Auguste, André, Timothée, Dion, Du Beaumont, whatever you want. The facts and fiction are so wound up with each other, the full truth will never come out. One thing is clear though, he definitely deserves his place on the spirit of Soho Mule. Yeah, live and let live. I take people as I find them, I always have. I know not everybody's like But that's a Soho attitude. We're looking at it from the point of view, not from any kind of gender perspective, it's from the point no, of view of Soho. He's a, he's he's a Soho a, character. A, a Soho character who lived, well, let's say, many lives, really. However you look at it, he's a fascinating character. For today.